Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today to Talking Yoga with Joe. It's been a while and I appreciate you checking back into the podcast. Today on the show I have Nikki Christine, a fellow Charleston yoga teacher and friend. Nikki has been leading a dryuary challenge down here in Charleston, which is no alcohol for the month of February and going into a certain amount of yoga classes during that time. We also discussed Nikki's recent accident, her injuries, and how she's had to change her yoga practice and her recovery, but also how having a strong yoga practice before her injuries had helped her than it being much worse. Uh, the first recording of this didn't work, so this was our second go-around a couple of weeks later. And also during the podcast episode, you might hear some background noise from Luna, uh, our beagle. So apologize about that. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode and can also subscribe. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to everyone, the podcast, everybody. Uh, I have Nikki, Christine on the podcast today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I guess I want to get right into it and address the listeners that uh, there's been a pause in between podcasts for a little while for the last couple of months as I've sort of been shifting over, sort of doing other things related to yoga, yoga videos, um, trying to accumulate more guests. And I would say about two weeks ago, uh, Nikki, you were fortunate enough to come over and do a podcast, and the frustration with technology left us um, with no recording, <laughs> as this happens. It was a very frustrating experience, but in a way, you had reached back out to me and had mentioned that there was other things that you wanted to talk about mm-hmm. and just kind of reinstate, and it worked out in such a way that we probably both didn't expect. Yeah. 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 I was actually really grateful. Um which is a weird thing to say when you're like, you know, you reach out and you're like, hey, the it didn't work. We're going to have to re-record. And I was like, actually, that's awesome because, first of all, I love talking with you. Um, we have great conversations. And um, now we get to kind of just hone in on a few more other topics. And, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it was a cool conversation. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think it'll be totally different or at least we'll kind of like end up talking about some other things. And maybe get more into to yoga and stuff. Um, but your let's get into it with your background. So I, I really didn't find yoga until I was here in Charleston. Um, Charleston marks, I moved here when I was 24. I turned 24 here. I moved here in November of 2014 and then turned 24 in um, December of that year. And mm. that's when I actually didn't start doing yoga until a year after that um in 2015 and so charleston marks like the home of not only where i feel the most adult the most um at home it's also where i feel like a yogi because i before that um i danced a lot growing up and i did a lot of movement that was very similar to yoga um and actually it's funny i mentioned this last time but my color guard instructor in high school um led us through a 40 minute yoga routine every single day but never called poses, never told us it was yoga. It was just our stretch routine that we did for four years. And it was exactly the same. It always warmed us up. And nobody on the team was ever injured, except for, like, you know, the occasional rolled ankle and whatnot because we were on the marching band field. But um, 
never injured because of the dance moves. And I swear it was because now I understand that that whole routine was a yoga sequence and she was just keeping our bodies really safe. So I did a lot of yoga without knowing it was yoga and then actively started doing yoga in 2015 um, when I moved here to Charleston and then got trained in 2017. And here we are in 2019, two years later. So. Yeah. So that's interesting and cool that you didn't call it yoga at that time as well with your teacher. Yeah, I don't – we – it was just made a lot of sense. I had danced my whole life, and so the moves are, you know, like if you think of Janyushashana, dancers and runners do that stretch all the time, and they never would maybe consider that it's um, yoga. You know what I mean? So our whole routine was like that. I mean, it included lounging lizard and half pigeon it included triangle pose um it included like halfway lift i mean lots and lots of things i can't think of a single posture in that routine that wasn't a sequence <laughs> um just and the like way I it was said, put together yeah in different shapes poses yeah and she just you know instead of calling a pose she would just be like now stretch here now stretch here eight counts you know and it was always to music and it was always to count so it was very just dance driven and dance minded um, and then when I started doing yoga, I was like, oh, I already know how to do this. This has been in my body for the past, all, you know, all four years of high school, um, which had been a little while when I started doing yoga here in Charleston, but st my body remembered it. And I think that's actually a test to this practice is that it doesn't matter if you take gaps with this practice, your body remembers it. And it doesn't matter if you can't like, you know, go right into Hanimanasana immediately, um, but your body will get there again. It remembers that work. And it's kind of like I just took a really long shavasana for a couple of years and didn't move like that for a while and then found it again when I got to Charleston and my body just picked it right back up. And it was amazing because I loved it because um, it reminded me of being in dance class and it reminded me of having that like, you know, little kid memory of like, oh, I feel graceful, I feel elegant, I also feel powerful and I feel like nobody can um, like interrupt me. I loved that about um, power classes that I could just like go from pose to pose and follow the teacher's choreography, if you will. And it's something I've always really enjoyed about it now that I'm now that I know to call it yoga. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also relatable too for other people in like um, sport related um, activities where they might be doing some sort of um, stretching to prevent any injuries. Yeah. But they might not be calling it yoga. So it questions, you know, what is the yoga practice really? What is yoga? So. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I feel like I feel like a lot of athletes do that, especially because I, wor I work um, very closely with um, athletes at the in the kinesiology program at Charleston Southern. And a lot of them are like, oh, yeah, well, we do that all the time. And I'm like, great, like you're doing yoga poses. That's what that is. Um, but there is... There is the difference of um, whether or not they're mindfully breathing and mindfully in the practice. I think that maybe that, if we were to get really technical into like what is the yoga, I think that without ujjayi breath um, or without at least breath work, it perhaps is no longer yoga because I feel like that really is important when it comes to the union mm. of the movement and the breath. Like if you're not connecting your inhales and exhales to the stretch, you might just be stretching, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So with your teacher when you were doing this practice, uh -huh. one, was she um, cueing on breath? And I guess second 
part to this question or maybe it's a totally separate question. Yeah. But can you explain also what ujjayi breathing is? And sure. Too? Yeah. Um, thinking back, I don't really recall if she called breath or not. I do remember her always being like, breathe. You can't do this if you're not, you know, it's better for you if you are breathing. But I don't know that she cued as in like, take an inhale, take an exhale, you know, that kind of cueing. Um, she just spoke to it, like include, include your breathing. Included in this. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, keep in your keep life. breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that, especially because it was music and it was dance. And so she was always just like, just keep breathing. Like, <laughs> I would imagine for dance too, it's kind of important to, when you're moving, to be breathing part of it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, uh, to describe Ujjayi. So Ujjayi is, um, it's translates to victorious breath, which is always very special for me because my name translates to victory. Um, Nicole means victory. And mm. um, when I learned that Ujjayi means victorious breath, I was like, huh, that's, I felt like a little part of me was coming up in the yoga and like beckoning me a little bit in that. Um, so that was very special. And um, what it is, is that deep inhale and exhale through the nose to create heat in your chest cavity. And so if you expel all your breath out and take a deep breath in and then through the nose, exhale, that is Ujjayi. And when you build that in your yoga practice, um, that's the hardest part of the practice to keep your lips sealed the entire time, the whole 60 or 75 or 90 minute class right. and to only breathe in and out of your nose. Um, I'm of the opinion that, and I tell my students all the time, like, it doesn't matter what your body's doing. If you can dedicate to that breath for that whole practice, you are doing the yoga. Because then your warrior almost becomes less strenuous because you're really focusing on this breath in through my nose and this breath out through my nose. And now we're moving postures and, ha, huh, my muscles feel great and I can tell that I'm working and my energy wasn't in, <laughs> oh my gosh, this hurts, I'm holding, and we're not going anywhere, you know, like, it just creates just energetic victory, because you can overcome whatever posture you're in if you're breathing in Ujjayi. Right, as opposed to, like, anxiety-type yeah. breathing. Yeah, yeah. I was sort of told by other teachers in yoga that the Ujjayi breathing yeah. is the um, back of the throat mm -hmm. breathing as well, mm -hmm. so, like, that, describing it as, like, sort of, like, a Darth Vader type sound that you mm -hmm. create in Ujjayi. Mm -hmm. So is that the same? Is that different? Yep. No, I feel like I've heard that described that way also. Yeah. Because um, you're sort of explaining it through mostly the nostrils, where I've always kind of oh. thought of it more through the back passageway of your throat. No, absolutely. It's just in and out through the nostrils into the back pathway of your throat instead of circular breathing, which is in and out through your nose and out through your mouth. So nostrils for the um, entrance and entrance and exit, and exit yeah. point but mm -hmm. definitely it's kind of like uh, I tell some of my privates that like it's kind of like taking a big drink of water so you want your esophagus to be really wide you want your trachea to be really open and that's all that back of the neck stuff and then you're breathing in through the nose so it's like a big loop and it goes all the way down into the bottom of your lungs and then all the way back up but out through the nose again so yeah absolutely right it's all kind of incorporated in that area yeah of your body yeah. And I think for listeners, too, that want a um, maybe a tidbit in their yoga practice, something that can be uh -huh. small but yet transformational, yeah. practicing the ujjayi breath and the yoga postures can be very powerful, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think it cultivates an evenness 
to your breathing. So yeah. there's something about it where you are sort of like inhaling and exhaling mm-hmm. um, more smooth and more more evenly at a time. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think that that's why, you know, and I don't want it to sound like, oh, well, yoga is only if you're breathing. But I think that's the kicker. I think that's why it makes it true yoga. Because if you're doing that and you're making your breath even, all of a sudden all your movements are becoming even because you're allowing one breath to take you into one posture and then the next and the next. And you're getting to know yourself really well. Mm, right. And that's the, that's the union, you know, like that's how you start to guide your breathing to teach your mind to talk to your body and your body to talk to your mind and you start becoming one with yourself. And then you can start the nitty gritty like, Digging of, well, how do I feel? Does it matter? Can I be kind to myself in the way I feel? You know, all of that. The yamas and the yamas and bringing that in and having that be the practice. That's where it begins to be yoga. And, and all we had to do was breathe. Isn't that amazing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and as we get deeper in the yoga practice and we talk about it more, it's yeah. interesting that we find out that it's not, it begins to be more than just the poses and the postures. Mm-hmm. It ends up being about, like you had mentioned, the yamas and the niyamas. Oh, yeah. So I know that's a big part of your studies and your practice. Yeah. So for listeners, what is, um, can you tell a little bit about the niyamas and niyamas? Yeah. So the yamas and the niyamas, there's eight limbs of yoga. Um, if you consider, or if you picture um, an illustration of a tree, there's eight limbs that make up yoga. Um, and that's actually where we get the name Ashtanga from because Ash means um, eight. Eight, right? Yeah. And... Um, then you have the yoga part of that. And so uh, the first two are the yamas and the niyamas. Um, and then you have the breath, which is prana and all of the others. And But the first two are really um, kind of like the Ten Commandments, if you will, of yoga. Um, and it's interesting because in my Christian faith, I've discovered they're actually identical to the Ten Commandments in Exodus, um, which is very intriguing. So for anybody who's listening who feels like you're not really sure how that links and correlates. Look up like Exodus, I think it's chapter 14, maybe 20, um, that explains the Ten Commandments, and then look at them compared to the Yamas and the Niyamas. They are 10 rules collectively, five on how to treat yourself and five on how to treat others. And it's really beautiful the way that they come together. And I know all the old yogis always... Um, always really stress that if you could do the first one, which is um, ahimsa, non-harm, kindness to self and others, you wouldn't have to do anything else. But because we're human and because we struggle with that, um, I mean, how many self-harming thoughts do we have in a day, let alone our mind judges in less than 0.3 seconds um, on a scientific, like, neurological level, we're immediately causing harm just through judgment. We don't even realize we are. So because we are doing this practice of becoming more mindful of that to then overcome it someday, we have to do the asana and the breath work and the discipline and the prasyahara and all that later down the road. But the first two really encompass just like, hey, non-harm, try ahimsa. If you can practice kindness to self, that is the first part of yoga. And then you can practice your cleanliness. And then you can practice your purity. And then you can, you know, and it goes on and on. It's so beautiful. It's such a, such a great um, way to live your life. And, but like you were saying earlier, 
a lot of people don't even realize that is yoga. They're just like, we're coming to sweat and stretch and you're going to tell me to breathe. And then I did yoga. Absolutely. And definitely for those of us who've chosen this as our careers and our lifestyle, it, it truly becomes so much deeper than that. And it's really priceless. I love it. Special and powerful. Yeah. In many ways. And great people that are out there, great leaders, mm -hmm. like, um, great leaders that practice ahimsa and I relate back to like Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. Gandhi. Yes. Right. People that in their career, professional careers, mm -hmm. made a point to um, non harm or put non violence before everything. Absolutely. I think created much powerful changes in the world. Yeah. And they also created powerful followings. And I think it's interesting and should be noted that usually those are the people who a lot of harm comes against. Because I feel like energetically, as humans, we really desire that non-harm. And I feel like the energetics of, this, of society resist that because it's scary. It's foreign and it feels like something we're not used to. Like if all of us walked around practicing ahimsa, then it would feel comfortable and nobody would resist it. But because mm -hmm. we don't, and because we, so many of us aren't even aware we could be practicing it, I feel like even though if we knew the facts about it, we would want to align to it, just not knowing enough about it makes us not want to align. And, you know, that's why we lost MLK. And that's why, you know, Gandhi's life also had a lot of sorrow and a lot of, um, a lot of afflicted harm and pain. Um, but I think it, it does speak to their power as human beings because they, were, despite that, were still able to choose Ahimsa for self and others. And that is the first step of practicing true yoga. And that's eventually what leads you to your enlightenment mm -hmm. if you can get that step grounded and that becomes your foundation for the rest of the limbs to follow. And of course, then we come back and we, we say, you know, we, we walk through all the eight limbs and then we have a day where we're like, wait, I have to practice ahimsa again. I have to practice kindness. Um, and then you walk through the steps again and it's, it's very cyclical and it's great also because that helps me remember that the practice is, is going through the eight limbs. It's not going through them once and getting it right exactly the first time. And now I'm enlightened and aha, now I'm great. Now, now I have practice and one of the yoga quote unquote, like, you know, one of our teachers, Molly in teacher training was like, you can't win at yoga. And it was always so funny because all the guys in our class, we had three men in our teacher training, and um, afterwards they'd always be like, but I totally want to win. Like, I want to win at yoga. <laughs> um, yeah. And that kind of became a reminder for me. And they, they were saying it in jest. Like, it was, this, it was an understanding that, you know, we totally gleaned what she was teaching us that day. Um, but I, I always stuck, stood out to me because I'm like, yeah, if I'm ever trying to win at yoga, then... Maybe I'm not doing yoga. Maybe I should remind myself of my humility and come back to ahimsa. Because that's also a, a version of um, harming, is thinking that I've overcome something when I haven't. That's, that's not truthful, and that's another limb of the um, yamas. And so practicing all of them together is really, really important. There's also um, asteya, which is non-stealing. Um, and there's... Um, Brahmacharya, which is um, chastity and your purity, and there's also um, being non-covetous, which is, you know, being really content in what you have and what you don't have. 
and then learning to rejoice in what your brethren has. Um, and I, I love teaching to that. That's actually a really clear one to teach to in a classroom setting on your yoga mats because if you can help your students shift their thinking to, wow, that girl next to me is in handstand and I can't even hold my warrior one for more than one breath, you know, and I'm in child's pose over here and I'm dying and I can't, you know, but if you can shift their thinking and just drop into their heads, rejoice that that other person is in their practice like that today, like showing up as that posture. And if they can rejoice back that your practice is showing up as a struggling warrior one in a child's pose, now we're both starting to journey on the path of contentment, non-covetousness um, towards one another, and their the energy shift starts to become lighter, more pure, and all of the yamas start to work together. We're not stealing from one another energetically. We are loving. We are kind. We are being clean in our thoughts. We are all, it's just such a great, oh, I love it so much. <laughs> such a great practice. Yeah, and I mean, this is stuff that goes back a very, very long time ago, too. So it's, it's fascinating that it was already being kind of talked about. Maybe not, yeah. maybe talked about, but just kind of um, being written about for sure. Absolutely. So I like the contentment piece because I think that's important in yoga practice, mm. being content. I think with where you are and like yeah. that example of like a handstand or a yeah. headstand or anything like that. Like if you don't have it today, okay. Like, mm-hmm. right. It's okay. Totally. Uh, and the practice for me is very humbling because mm-hmm. the poses that we can't do is just makes me feel human. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And at, at first I really struggled with that. Did you like, when we first became instructors, I was like, I have to be able to stand on my hands. I'm going to teach people how to do this. Therefore, I have to be able to do it. And it took me months in training to realize, no, that's inaccurate. Like, I, I don't have to. I can absolutely just be able to speak to it very clearly, be able to teach the cueing, be able to know what it should be looking like and yeah. where your muscles are working, which is where I'm grateful for my kinese background because I have a lot of that anatomy knowledge that helps me know what muscles should be doing what work. Um, in a, It's more of an exercise science realm, but I'm able to connect it back to the yoga and then say, great, your body's doing handstand and I cued you through it and it was successful and it's strong and your breath is there and it doesn't matter if I can do it or not. Yeah. And so that was that was a great shift in my practice and in my teaching when I could get there and realize that, you know, um, we don't all have to look alike to rejoice in one another. So yes. We didn't call them right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's just what makes the practice more, more present uh, yeah. too because, you know, Today you don't have the headstand or headstand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like it's fine. Yeah. But you know, do your practice, and yeah. all is coming is what the top of Joyce had said. Yeah. And I love that too because he never said, "Okay, do your practice, and you're gonna get a handstand. Do your practice, and you'll be able to touch your toes." He mm-hmm. just said, "You know, do your practice, and all is just gonna be coming, dude." Absolutely. Hey. Absolutely, and that's very just accurate and and if we start to shift our thinking to oh I can't get this handstand today something must be wrong with me pause the second that thought runs through our minds we should say nope I'm gonna reframe this is an opportunity for me to show myself kindness there's something going on with me today and I can't get you know a handstand even let's say that it's a posture 
that I can always get something that's very normal in my body and very attainable for me. Um, like triangle pose, you know, both of my feet are on the ground. My hand can be on a block if I need it. Um, very open, very firm, very grounded pose. But for some reason I am just wobbly as heck and I cannot get myself to open and I'm pinching and I'm, you know, something's just up. And that's my opportunity in that posture to say, there's nothing wrong with me. Something's off today. And it's not bad. It's not good. It's just off. And if I don't label it, I am practicing kindness to myself. If I just welcome it, I don't judge it, and I compassionately bring myself back to my breathing, the external posture means nothing. The practice was the inhale and the exhale. And that has been really wonderfully helpful for me. Um, especially after going through my accident in November and losing my asana practice almost entirely and being able to come back to my body and almost as a beginner. I mean, I was in poses like totally as a beginner. Uh, I could not do upward facing dog, nothing with hyperextension for the first um, three weeks. Um, and I was stepping forward very slowly into poses from downward facing dog. Um, had to lift my leg very slowly on each side for three legged dog. I mean, very, very beginner stable practice. Um, very slow cat and cows, you know, very, very minor movement, um, very mindful movement, but it was only because um, I was taught the importance of that breath and I believed in that breath importance that I was able to rebuild my practice and not have the ego say, well, you used to be able to do all these things and now you can't do any of them. Like, eh, that doesn't matter. I, I'll get there all in good time. <laughs> yeah. And this was something we talked about on the last podcast episode that we did. Um, and I didn't know about, but yeah, your, yeah. your accident, which was several months ago. It was, it was on, uh, November 28th. Um, I was jogging on Johnny Dodds Boulevard and, um, I got hit by a car and I broke my vertebrae. My back was broken, um, in three places. And I am the most blessed person alive because I walked very slowly out of the hospital. Um, but I was able to walk nonetheless. And I was, my vertebrae were broken in such a way that there weren't compression. There wasn't compression on the brake. Um, and so I was able to still sit up straight and, you know, I was, I stayed in my home for the first two weeks almost exclusively. Um, I wasn't able to drive and, uh, it was very scary. And it, I'm so grateful that I have my practice because I, my practice is what kept me you know, sane and able to, able to move and able to get out of bed and not feel hopeless. And, um, I was very, very grateful that all of it went down the way it did, but yeah. So that's a lot, yeah. right? And having a yoga practice before that, and then having a yoga practice, I guess, um, after in your recovery, what was that? What was that like for you? So it's interesting I had been having the conversation with myself for a little while where I was like, you know, my postures are starting to feel really good. I'm starting to be really deep inside of every posture, every class that I take. And I was like, huh, I, that's my cue to myself where I need to like either amp it up or I need to learn something new or I need to build in, you know, 
engaging the bandhas every practice needs to be my intention or you know deeper ujjayi something i needed to go a deeper level mm-hmm. and then when i got hit like i said i was a beginner so <laughs> so i actually didn't have to um start including those things i just began by including those things first those became the practice by themselves because all i could do was engage my bandhas and breathe mm-hmm. and stand in tadasana pose you know it even hurt to reach my hands over my head for the first two weeks. I was I had to be very, very careful of my body because um, it was my lumbar spine. So, like, obviously, like, you know, I wanted to be careful of that. Um, but Pretty it, common postures, too, like almost yeah. every yoga class that you're going to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I also wanted to be very cautious of, like, if the class was overpacked, I didn't attend because I didn't want anybody else to be responsible for the fact that I was standing next to them with a broken back and, you know, here comes a foot on accident and they have no idea, you know, so I was attending very, very small classes and making sure I had lots of mat space and lots of space around my mat and all of that. Um, however, I'm also really grateful for the strength of my practice prior to the accident because I, um, I'm not one to like go up and down out of wheel pose. I like to go up once and hold for a length of time, um, in my wheel pose and just like kind of rest and see if my body can withstand that that heartbeat racing and just see if I can breathe and see if I can keep pressing my feet down and relaxing my glutes and turning on my quads and you know just I really love my wheel practice and I swear that wheel practice prior to my accident is why my back is okay now and healthier you know what are we two months and two weeks later and I'm able to do my practice almost fully again I mean it's completely back to normal once the bones were healed in about four and a half weeks, I got my practice back. But I promise you it's because I did yoga before my accident. If it had, if I had come to yoga after, I'd be in very different shape. I, I might not even – I would venture to say I wouldn't be walking if, um, if I hadn't been as disciplined in my yoga practice um, for the past couple of years getting ready to get hit by a car. Not that, not that people plan that, but like <laughs> just so to all work like that. So I'm very grateful for this practice. Wow, yeah. Because it helped me bounce back and it helped me know that um, there was light on the other side. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Last time that we talked and you told me this story. Yeah. And I might have said something like, you know, you know, it sucks or it's bad, right? That that yeah. happened. And it was quite inspiring for me in that talk that we had last time yeah. that you had said, well, it's not good and it's not bad, right? Yeah, yeah. You kind of said something along the lines of that, yeah. which made me really, um, which just really inspired me for you to say that because, you. you know, we kind of say like, oh, that sucks that that happened. Like, that was bad. Yeah. But you had a different um, mindset in it. Absolutely. And I, I feel, and that, it's the yoga mindset. It's not, you know, I have to remember that that's not even my mindset. That's something that I've been taught through our yoga. Um that it's not, it's not bad. If, if I can, in the moment that it was happening, I remember hearing myself say, this, you are going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You can, I had the peace of God in me. I was not afraid. I was afraid when it was actively hitting my back. I could feel the car. I could feel my back break. I could feel that something was very bad. And as soon as I was on the ground, even though I was crying and even though I was upset and 911 and all the things, right? You can mm-hmm. just imagine. 
I had this immediate sense of this is just an obstacle and there is light here. If you will look at it, you will bring the light and it will overcome the darkness. And it's that simple. Even though I know that's not simple, but it was that simple in that moment where I was like, this is not bad. This is not good. But perhaps it is good because my versions of those words aren't necessarily God's versions of those words. And if I can just trust in his version, then I'm fine and I'm going to be okay. And it's not bad. It's not good. It is. And it's interesting. And I'm in it right now. But then you let go of the emotion and you're able to like, and you can still be in the emotion. I mean, I was still crying. I was still like in pain, but I was able to release um, attachment to the emotion. Do you know what I mean? Like um, that was something that um, Beth taught us. Um, so Beth Plant did my teacher training. She's the owner of Charleston Power Yoga where I did my teacher training in 2017. And she always would be like, Just, what are the facts? What are the facts? And at the time, that was rocking my world. I was like, what do you mean, what are the facts? Like, no, I feel this way, and I want to feel this way, dang it, and I'm going to be upset because I want to be. And then I realized, ah, I want to be. I'm choosing to be upset. I have to take responsibility for choosing to be upset. Angry, sad, happy, joyful, any, any emotion, I have to choose that. And so if I start to withdraw from the senses, which is one of the limbs of yoga, um, Pratyahara. Pratyahara, yeah. And I say to myself, I am upset. I recognize that. I'm going to let myself feel it. And I'm now going to step away from that and say, do I want to continue choosing that? And if the answer is no, then I just don't. And I'm indifferent and I become neutral. And it's a safe place for me to be able to say, it's not good or bad. It just is. And then... That's when actually the true healing for my back started happening was right there immediately. I was able to come back to my breath. And of course, when you're injured like that, your oxygen to that injury is crucial because your, your vein or your, not your veins, but your arteries are um, dilating, trying to get a lot of blood flow to the injured site right away. And then they're constricting, trying to like withhold inflammation. And it's this whole process of like your body is responding very, very fast to this acute injury that's happened in your in you mm -hmm. and if you can mentally overcome the additional stress of like oh my god this emotion is what I'm choosing then more of your attention can go to helping your body heal in that moment you're not going to heal immediately it's not magic um but it's definitely more intentional and I I felt that when I was in that moment where I was like, if I can just breathe and actually I had a girlfriend in the ambulance with me who was like, just breathe, Nikki, you do this practice. You can do this. And I was like, thank God she said that right then because yes, I can. I'm going to be okay. This is going to be okay. Um, and it just, and it just is. And it's not, I receive and I love the people who wrapped their arms around me when all of that happened. And they were like, wow, this is awful. And I'd be like, Actually, it brought me close to God and his peace in such a way that it's not awful. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. And so I think that's why I can look at it as, eh, it's actually great. <laughs> yeah, that's a great message for people, <laughs> though, you. right? Thanks. Yeah, was there, I hope so. Was there any part that was hard for you at some point? I did get really afraid of 
um, the work I had lost. So I got hit a week before finals at Charleston Southern. And I had already planned to not attend the spring semester. Um, I'm taking a, a hiatus again from school. And, and anybody who knows me knows this is like my ninth hiatus. I've been in college for a decade. But um, I decided already to take the spring off. And I was going to work full time. Sorry, I'm going <laughs> to pause this again. She's so funny today. That's she so cute. <laughs> break. So I had already decided I was taking a break. And um, I got hit the, the Wednesday before finals week. And I had work lined up, almost full-time work, right away because I was like, I'm going to teach yoga. This is what I love. I have prenatal lined up. I had private clients lined up. I had studio classes lined up. I had all these things ready to begin. And then all of that immediately was gone because, of course, you know, it's, it's a little different than when, you know, if I was working for a company and I got injured, I'd, you know, have some time off. I'd be able to, you know, receive just different, different things. But as a yoga instructor, we work with our bodies. This is our work, you know, um, is our physical being. And so I immediately, you know, I lost clients, um, which was great. And I was able to refer a lot of them out. Um, and a few of them took a break with me because it happened to be right before the holidays. Like I said, it was November 28th. So a few of them were like, okay, we'll just break for, you know, until the new year. And I was like, wonderful. Um, but it still meant no income. And so I did have a moment where I was like losing studio classes and losing private clients and I could no longer do prenatal. There was no way. Um, because even though I'm taught, um, as a Baptist affiliate where I can instruct a class without practicing with my students, um, for prenatal, I don't teach that way. I instruct mm -hmm. with my body or it's playful. It's, you know, all about baby and, um, and I, I couldn't do any of that. And so I really did. I had a very huge moment where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I am not going back to school right now. Um, I felt almost a little trapped because for a moment I was like, well, now I have to go back to school. And because that's my only option, surely. But my brain was really tired because I took a 40 credits in 2018. So I was just truly needed the Sabbath season of, you know, no school, um, at least for the time being in this hiatus. And so I just, that's when I started realizing I had to come back to Ahimsa because fear only makes you ugly and fear only makes you, um, react. And I had a couple of moments like that where I was just like, Nikki, you cannot, you have to choose the yoga. You have to be responsible for this right now. You're going to be okay. This all happened for a reason seek the reason, seek the light and the obstacle will become overcome with light. Mm -hmm. But if you keep seeking fear and keep giving into fear, the obstacle is going to become darkness and it's just going to wreck your life. And so it, it, but it did take me a couple of moments to like really hone in on that. And, um, I'm grateful that I did. Again, I'm grateful for the people who taught me how to do that because I wouldn't have known before I came to yoga and things have been just fine. And, you know, I'm still, lacking work, but I love, um, I love what I do and I am able to teach full time now and support myself. And it's really such a wonderful, it's been a beautiful, wonderful transition. I'm really grateful for it all. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any advice for yoga teachers? You know, you having this experience uh -huh. of getting hit by a car yeah. and you're sort of going back to 
almost the beginning, going back to like zero in a yeah. way. Yeah. Um, that you learned from this experience of like getting mm-hmm. back connected into your body and just learning things over again. I think um, the thing we were just talking about is just I was able to practice really strict yoga hygiene. Um, and for those of you who are listening, yoga hygiene is kind of a, a term I coined um, mm-hmm. when I first started teaching because for me, I felt like if I was if I was teaching, let's say, you know, nine times a week, nine studio classes a week, and then, you know, however many, however many times, we'll just say nine. If I was teaching nine times, that means I needed to flow nine times in my own practice, in my own body, nine or more times in my body because I was teaching and holding energy for nine classes and the you know, collection of students inside of those classes. And I started just calling it yoga hygiene. And I was like, this is what part of my practice It's part of, you know, um, the cleanliness and the yamas. And so it was like, I just feel like that's really important to me. I'm going to stick to that. And I think that's the advice I would give. And that's what I've been able to come back to is because my slate got wiped clean. I never stopped practicing that, but then rebuilding, I never have the excuse to not. And so I think that was the best thing that could have happened again is just having the slate be wiped clean for me and then coming back to the basics of what I believe in as an instructor and what I will choose to do and what I will not choose to do. And that's one thing that I just don't negotiate on. If I'm teaching, it doesn't matter how much. It helps me balance my schedule and know that if I can't afford to flow 15 times a week, I'm not going to teach 15 times a week. And it doesn't have to look like you make it on time to 15 studio classes. Like this is where a home practice can be really, really nourishing and really helpful. You can be flowing in the middle of the night because you got home and you're just, now you're wide awake and wired because you taught all day and like you need some time to yourself. Go to your mat. That counts. That's part of your yoga hygiene. It, it can look like Shavasana. It can look like some cat and cows and some down dog and maybe you'll be there for 20 minutes and maybe you'll be there for an hour and maybe you'll be there for two hours and it doesn't really matter what it looks like because the yoga is the limbs the yoga is the kindness to self the yoga is the breath and so I'm really really um big on that in my own body and my own practice and mm-hmm. I don't want to like sound preachy on it it's not like I do it perfectly and it doesn't it doesn't look any certain way every week um it looks different. Some weeks I'm exhausted and some weeks, you know, it does just look like a walk and then some yoga on the beach. Sometimes it looks like, you know, right now in dryuary at Charleston Power Yoga, now it looks like, you know, totally I'm in the studio classes, I'm teaching and, and, and hot sweaty flows all the time. It's wonderful. Um, but it doesn't always look like that. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening, just know that it, it, yoga hygiene is very intimate. It's your version of it. It can be, it can belong to you and it can feel nourishing in the way that it feels nourishing to you. It does not have to look or feel nourishing to me. It's your yoga hygiene, you know? Mm. Um, I always call it, I feel like it's um, part of your vertical. So I, when I think about, you know, reaching enlightenment and finding that union with God, I think of it as this um, rod of glowing light that enters the crown of my head and plummets all the way down and rests in my tailbone and that is my, that's my floodgate from heaven. That's my vertical. And no human being can touch that because it's just between me and Abba. 
and you have one also, and so does every single person. Listen, this is the light. Namaste. The light in me bows to the light in you. I recognize that it's the same light from heaven pouring into us, and it makes us divine, it makes us children of God. And, and that is something that um, no human being can touch. You can share it. We can shine it through our eyes, through our words, um, through our heart and our love. This is where the horizontal starts to touch. Like you can... I can share my vertical with you horizontally through my actions, my um, practices, my behavior, you know, all of that. Um, but you can't actually touch mine and I can't actually touch yours. So if I try to touch your yoga hygiene, I'm trying to reach inside of you and touch your holy vertical and that's not allowed. I can't do that. I should not be allowed to touch that. It's sacred. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, it comes back to Ahimsa. If you are practicing your yoga cleanliness in a way that nourishes you, I can't judge it, and you can't judge it. Because at the end of the day, the light that is in you is the only thing that can judge your yoga hygiene, and that's the only thing that you are accountable to. And if you're being accountable to your light, then love yourself. Bring yourself back to the practice with compassion. Bring yourself back to the practice with clarity and with Compassion knowing that, okay, I didn't, I didn't get it right today. The handstand was off, but it wasn't good or bad. It was just off. Hmm. And it's, it becomes that simple. And it's really complicated, but it does become that day-to-day -day simple. Like it just becomes the path that you're walking on. Yeah, and it's customizable. You can customize it. Yeah. Some mornings, if whether you want to like do your yoga practice at a, more powered place. Yeah. Or maybe some mornings you're customizing it and you're changing. Totally. Like you said you were exhausted some weeks. Yeah. Which we all get. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. And I know there, um, actually one of my good friends, I walked into her class one day at Charleston Power Yoga and I was just like, Carrie, I cannot do this today. And she was like, don't. Go home and lay on a bolster, do restorative yoga. And that's exactly what I did. And that was what my yoga hygiene looked like that that day it was amazing and I laid there for probably 30 minutes no longer and <laughs> in supported um, child's pose and I was like wow this is the yoga like if I just would listen to myself a little more often then I'd be okay <laughs> mm. um, and it was wonderful so you know the other advice I would give is have those people who are in the practice also who can remind you to stay true to yourself to be in it uniquely um, who know you well enough to say, hey, like, Joe, why don't you just, why don't you just go, you know, rest on your mat for a moment in your private home space? Like, maybe that's more nourishing today. And you're saying, huh, yeah, okay, this is a yogi I can trust. This is a voice I can trust. Maybe let me try that. And then it feels good. And you're like, thank God. Like, yes, I was able to tap in to what makes me unique and into that light. And now I'm hydrated and now I'm practicing the yoga hygiene and now I can teach. Mm. let's go great yeah so being aware of it feeling it in your body yeah listening, listening. and and okay. getting that from other people as well yeah yeah before we before we move on from this topic it's i just like yeah. kind of rack and get into your brain about this sure what was something maybe anatomically um in your body that you've learned because i know probably your range of movement yeah. was limited so mm -hmm poses like upward facing dog right crazy yes. 
crazy kind of backward bends there. Yes. What about Sphinx position where you're up on the forearms and you're not as quite deep in the back bend? What was something yeah. anatomically maybe that you've learned? So post the accident. Yeah. Um, because of the accident. Yeah, definitely. So anything hyperextension. So when you're in, when you're standing in Tadasana, you're in what's called anatomical man. And um, palms facing, in, really in Sonnet CTE. So you're The Da Vinci. Yeah. Right? His arms spread out. Yes. Circle around. Yes, mm -hmm. which is amazing because when you're in that true north in yoga, in Tadasana, or um, like we're reaching up, extended mountain, mm -hmm. when you're in that posture, you're in Da Vinci's anatomical man. And it's the foundation for everything in exercise science. Everything starts at anatomical man. It's also the foundation for anything medicinal. So every doctor, nurse, you know, practitioner of anything in medicine knows to reference the body via anatomical man. It's our, it's our staple. It's what we know to come back to. And it's how we know how to communicate to one another. Like this is the posterior side versus the anterior, blah, blah, blah. You use this very clear terminology to communicate to one another what you mean, no matter where you are, no matter if you can see the body or not that you're referencing. It's just a really clean cut structure. It's kind of like math, you know, translates across all languages. Um, anyways, and so hyperextension is when you're standing in, in anatomical man, but you are lifting up through your rib cage and taking it back up and you're leaning back and your torso is hyperextending back. Because when you're standing upright, your torso is in um, full extension. And then when you bend forward at the hips and you hinge forward at the hips, that's torso flexion. So my torso in hyperextended poses was not happening <laughs> for the first, I mean, month of my practice. And so, yeah, upward facing dog would count as that. Um, I couldn't even do sphinx pose actually for a while. I do remember... Um, being very careful, laying on my belly, getting to the ground, first of all, to where I was flat on my belly, and then very mindfully, very slowly, taking my time to bring my arms up and do miniaturized cobra. I mean, teeny-weeny little cobra pose where I was very aware of only my thoracic spine, which is the rib cage, mm -hmm. um, the spine connecting your ribs, lifting and gently rolling my shoulders back and squeezing them very slowly on my spine to let my lumbar spine be doing no work and to bring awareness to what was happening in my lumbar spine. Um, were, you were you compensating with strengthening? Were you using more strength at that time? Uh, yeah. Or just trying to build it Yeah, up? and I think yeah. that it, I knew that it was really important post any back injury, um, whether it's muscular or um osteo injury where it's bone um explain that difference too muscular is when like a muscle has been injured something has been strained and you're gonna feel a tweak or a twinge every time you move um because a muscle has been pulled or um torn or anything like that and this versus, can happen frequently this can be yeah you know in your workout or something totally these are the most common overdone. types of things common. that people are like oh man i hurt my back like Hey, your back's not broken. Yeah. You know, your back is, you have strained a muscle. Mm -hmm. um, it, the fibers have pulled apart and they need time to repair and come back together in a way that they're no longer, you know, compromised versus an osteo injury, which is where, yeah, the bone's broken. Like you, so you there's been an impact. There's been something that has taken place. You know, you've dropped a weight on your foot. Your bones are fragmented, something like that. Right. Um, and so with either... 
with either you're going to have strengthening involved. Um, with muscular, you want to um, give yourself rest, ice, and um, anything that's going to help decrease inflammation. And you also don't want to overdo that because the inflammation is what starts to heal your body. So you want to have like appropriate amount of time for an acute injury, which is something that you can tell like, oh, this happened to my forearm today. I know the exact time that it took place. I have an injury because of it. That's an acute injury. Something that's chronic is like, I can't really pinpoint when this injury showed up in my body. Does that make sense? Right, there's a difference, a huge difference yeah. between those two. Yeah, so when I say acute, it's like you know exactly when this happened, there's a causation, you can remember. So when you have inflammation for an acute injury, it's actually good. You want a few weeks, sometimes weeks, it depends on the injury. If it's smaller, a few days to a week, that inflammation is going to help begin the healing process. But you do mm -hmm. want to combat that with ice and, you know, Motrin if that's working for you and, you know, depending on what a doctor is telling you. But if you're treating it yourself, you usually can... Just be like, hey, I'm just going to take it easy on my back right now. I strain muscle. But when it's bone, you want to, number one, limit movement as much as possible because the bones need to heal. And that calcification of the bone back to normal is really, really important in the first week to two weeks because the calcium is trying to, like, basic clots, maybe not the right word, but it's basically holding on to you and clotting the bone mm -hmm. and trying to rebuild and remodel, which comes later. So it's really just like trying to find its shape again and then it hardens and then it remodels. And so that's very important. You don't want to mess that up. You don't want it to remodel in the wrong shape, in other words, or reform in the wrong shape, um, which is why we wear casts and whatnot when, when it's an arm and leg, you know, but you can't do that when it's your spine. Um, so for me, I knew that while if this was a muscle injury, then I'd want to move again. I'd want to take walks. I'd want to be active. I'd want to, you know, gently with ice and with some medicine, be working the muscles even through the injury with bone opposite. You want to be still. You want to be really aware that like bones are trying to realign and you have to give them time to do that. But once I could feel and I knew that my bones were realigned, then I started doing the posterior muscular work again. And that's when I would start doing baby cobras and like trying to get the muscles to be like, all right, your bones are safe. You are safe. Keep breathing mm. and strengthen again. Like this is what, you know, working your muscles feel like again. Because when you hurt bone, the idea is that you're not moving, but then your muscles atrophy and they become weaker. Um, and that's not really great for your back <laughs> because the muscles are so small. It doesn't take a lot of time for them to atrophy. They're gone, you know, like they're, I mean, they're still there, but they're, they're definitely weak faster. And so I knew that it was very important to, once I did start rebuilding that strength, do it a little bit every day to be very, very cautious. Cause I didn't want to also then muscle strain myself on top of broken bone. Like I wanted to just have one or the other. <laughs> mm. So yeah, strengthening that posterior chain is, was really, really important, but I did have to go very slow, and I did have to wait until the bones were completely healed to then start considering things like upward-facing dog. I mean, once I, I remember vividly, actually, it was like every day once I was back in a hot power flow class, I started having the capability to bring like one posture back every class and all of a sudden I'd be like wow I can do triangle today this is amazing or I'd be like wow I stepped through to warrior one today without 
you know, and he paused. That was great. You know, it was like little victories like that. It was really special. Um, and the day that I had that with upward facing dog, what I had been doing was a modified uh, vinyasa and I had been doing chaturanga and then pushing back to plank pose and pushing back to downward facing dog because um, I couldn't flow into upward facing dog. And the first day where I was able to bend my elbows and inhale Urdhva Mukha, I was so excited. Wow. And I remember feeling the lightness in your lumbar spine that you should feel in that posture because you're right. squeezing your hamstrings off of the ground. Or not your hamstrings, your quads off the ground. And I was so elated. I was so elated. I was like, this feels amazing, number one. It was the first heart opener I'd truly done for weeks at that point. And I was so grateful that I had taken my time and not forced it sooner. Because when it happened naturally, then I was like, ha, ah, now I know this is my cue to my body and to my brain that I can trust this work again and I can start building, you know, a little deeper into my postures now. So it was mm. really, it was such a good moment. <laughs> I think that rewired something in your practice that you wouldn't have had before. It really did. Yeah. You had a, a little, well, you shared some excitement in that. Yeah. And I guess like through your unfortunate experience, you kind of found this newer um, thing in your, your, your yoga practice. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, instead of being more of a tangible thing, it's really just gratitude. I think it just exploded gratitude in my practice because now now that I have my practice fully back, they say wheel pose and I don't have to think about it. I can go back up. You know, they yeah, say vinyasa and I just breathe my way through vinyasa back to downward facing dog. And I find myself being like, up dog, do you remember how hard that was? A month ago, two months ago? Downward facing dog, exhale. Oh, this feels really good. And it's just this continuous like little conversation with myself as I breathe and as I do yoga where I'm like, you're alive right now. You're moving. This is all you need. Like it's sure. really, it's just a really good place to be. And gratitude is everything. Yeah. Um, and how do you feel today? I feel great today. Yeah. So do you think that you are at or close to where you were before? Oh, absolutely. I would actually venture to say that I'm actually stronger than I was um, before I got hit because now the thing that I told you I felt like I was missing where I was starting to become like, oh, deep enough in my postures and like, I'm good. I need mm -hmm. to add something. Now I have it and it's, and it's gratitude. And that is seemingly never ending. And I would, I would pose that it actually is never ending. It's not just seemingly never ending. It just is never ending. Mm -hmm. And that has helped me not feel like any pose is in vain anymore and it doesn't feel like, like I'm still definitely challenged in my asana. Absolutely. Um, but I'm still just so rejoicing in every posture in its own right that now I don't feel like anything's lacking or like I need to be trying harder or doing something or adding something. Now, it's almost yeah. like because it was washed away, it became more clean. It was like burned out the impurities. And now it's just worship on my mat. So great. <laughs> yeah. Not to suggest anybody to go out there and like break their bones Don't or body. Don't do that just right? for the sake of <laughs> but, I think, but I think also to highlight, you've also gave your body some time to rest as well. Absolutely. And when you're going through that like period in time, mm -hmm. your, your, 
strengthening your body, you're building everything over again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I, I'm really also grateful to, um, my Hebrew studies. So I also study, um, Hebrew at Charleston Southern and the most amazing thing that I've discovered, not the most, many of the things are amazing, but one of them was that, um, many of the root words in Hebrew and in Sanskrit are the same. And so my yoga practice has been combining with my um, biblical Hebrew practice, and it's been fascinating. And one of the key words that I um, was able to correlate really well was Shavasana and um, Shabbat. So Shabbat in Hebrew means cease, rest. Shavasana is resting pose, corpse pose, like be completely still. And they are spelled the same in the root language. They come from the same root, uh, three tri, tri root word. And when I saw that, it was probably last spring, so almost a full year ago, when I was studying this and realizing this, I was like, wow, that, it was profound for me to realize that all of this is so the same, it's very linked. And it really spoke to me because at the time I was not giving myself enough rest. I was working really hard. I was um, teaching like seven classes a week, but I was also had a full-time schedule at Charleston Southern. I was driving back and forth because I lived, you know, still in Mount Pleasant, but was working downtown. Or I'm sorry, no, I lived in North Charleston at the time and was working in Mount Pleasant and downtown. So I was constantly on the road. I was studying, I was writing papers, you know, just all the things when you're a college student. And, um, man, I was not giving myself enough rest. And my yoga practice was saying, Shavasana, Shavasana, Shavasana. And my Hebrew practice and studies were saying, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat. And I was like, not listening. And that was a huge reason why I kept hearing God be like, you need to take a season of rest. You need to take a season of rest. And I almost took it in the fall and then decided to take that fall semester, and that was chaos. I should have listened, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't. And now I think that that was an additional reminder to, yes, like the rest part is so, so crucial because then when you come back from rest, you're rested. You're ready to, you're ready to give again. You're ready to flow again. You're ready to be full of fire and tapas. You're ready to be, you know, just – on it and at work and teaching and, you know, practicing your yoga hygiene and just all of it. Mm -hmm. But you have to be honorable to the other side of that practice. And, you know, seasons of Shavasana or Shabbat can look like whole months. It can look like years for some people, you know, depending on what you're coming back from. If you're coming back from something like grief, um, death of a loved one, your Shavasana season light of your life might be a really long time. And I think that it's so important to honor that. And, you know, for me, it was, it's been this past couple of months where I wasn't really reading anything anymore. I wasn't studying. I took some time in my brain and my body to be still. And now I feel re-nourished and I feel good. And, you know, it's all, it's all starting to come back. But yeah, the rest was crucial. And if I ignored that, I wouldn't be here happy talking to you about it. I'd be in pain. So Mm. (laughs) I'm grateful. Yeah. That's that's great. You've had these connections between your your faith and beliefs and the yoga. Yeah. Yeah, because you you mentioned it before with um, 
the commandments. Yeah, yeah. And now Hebrew. Yeah, what? That's interesting. It it is interesting. It's almost like yoga would have found you at some point. I think. I for sure. I definitely think you are correct. Yeah, I do think so. Um, I, the more I think about my life's path and everything that God has brought me through, I I really feel like there's no way I wasn't supposed to be here teaching this practice and being a part of this practice. And yeah, really even more than that, just living this practice because yoga was the thing that helped me realize that my Christianity is a practice. And that was something growing up in church that was never really explained to me. And, you know, you just did it because you were told to do it. Not because you chose it and you wanted to, and not because it was a discipline, but because you were told to. And then as an adult, when I found yoga, I realized, no, no, don't choose this unless you're choosing it. It is yoga. It is something you deliberately say, it's not good, it's not bad, I am neutral, and I'm going to practice you. I'm going to choose you deliberately, I'm going to take responsibility for whatever I believe in, and I'm going to act inside of that belief. And that really helped me realize, like, take ownership of it, I guess. And helped me find out that, you know, um, it's no fun when we do things because other people tell us to and we don't know the why behind it, which was also a huge thing for me in teacher training, especially because um, CPY's tag is, you know, why, why I CPY, why do I, why am I here? Um, and I think that if you if you don't have an answer to that, then maybe you should consider why are you here, you know? Um, but then as soon as you start to consider it, you have an answer and you should be here. So it's great. It's like everyone's in included, even if you don't exactly know what your why is yet. But pondering the question is the first step, and I think it's the most important thing. Mm. It's everything, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. At CPY this month, you're doing something kind of cool and special. Yeah. And you brought up the word January. So what is January? And what uh, led you to, to do this uh, thing? So January is the challenge we're doing at Charleston Power Yoga right now, um, where you stay sober for the month of February, and you um, do 20 hot power classes in the 28 days of February. And um, Beth started marketing for this and we were really excited to um, include it as at the studio and I w was really excited to share it and be a part of it because she was, um, I, I gave up alcohol last July, uh, July of 2018 and so it was a really exciting that um, we were promoting this because I was like great, like yeah this is this is awesome. I want to be a part of this. And I've something been able you're to already teach. doing. Yeah, yeah. something I was already doing. And it was also great because I needed something to kind of boost me back into my physical practice of the asana. And so I was like, great. So the challenge of 20 classes in 28 days in a studio setting. So like, sure, I might be practicing yoga hygiene, but what if it is at midnight in my, in my living room? Now I have to make sure I'm in 20 classes at a studio. I have to sign up. I have to make sure I'm on time, you know, like it's a whole different practice and I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's a really fun challenge and we're about halfway through now and people have just been exploding about it. They love it. They are like, this is so different. This lifestyle of like not 
having a hangover or not ordering wine at dinner or not going out for drinks with friends and going to bed early and, and waking up the next day refreshed and choosing water instead or tea or whatever it is that you're choosing. And it's been really, really fun. People have really responded to it really beautifully. Yeah. So we talked about this a lot on the last podcast. Yeah. But, you know, something about alcohol, and I think all over the country, all over the world, but here in Charleston, is it, like it goes hand in hand with like a lot of the events and things that go on. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see that there's is an uh, event January where it doesn't have to be about um, you know drinking and yeah. harming your body in some kind of way. Yeah. And feeling good. Yeah, and like the other uh, last Saturday, a group of us went to Barca for the happy hour, and we just like you know took wonderful advantage of the specials that were going on food-wise, and we all drank water and, like, had really fun conversation. And we all went to bed on time and, like, had the, had a really great night. And I think it, it's been really fun for people just to do that exactly, to be like, huh, can I live in Charleston, South Carolina, of all places, and still enjoy myself sans alcohol? The answer is yes. Like, this city is has so much to offer. And if we're numbing ourselves to it, we're maybe not even getting the full experience. And so, but that's not on everybody's radar. Some people are like, no, well, how could you possibly, you know, enjoy Charleston without drinking? There's, it, it runs the nature of almost everything in this society. And that's true. And it's also not. There's, it's, I think it's a great because Dryuary's why is um, just opening people up to the possibility that you can have a lot of fun in this beautiful, rich city. And I mean rich as in like, you know, wealthy culturally and, and all these different things without being intoxicated, which is great. Um, but that's a new way of being for some people. So it's been really, really fun to be a part of it. And I'm actually really humbled to be a part of it. It's been good. Yeah, it's a nice possibility. Yeah. A nice change. It is, yeah. Yeah, I'm halfway through my yeah, And so that's what I love also about Dryuary is that it's so community friendly. It's so supportive. And anybody in any variation, which is so great. I mean, like, let's talk about the variations and postures in yoga. It's exactly like that. It's like my variation doesn't look like your variation, but we are still all doing yoga. We're still all doing the challenge. And it's great, and it's powerful, and it's so positive. So it's been a fun, definitely a fun journey. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be alcohol, so everyone's yeah. story is a little different. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I mean... Because we had people who, you know, because it's, it's not by any means, like, a substitution for, like, AA. So, but what if people who are already sober because they are in that community wanted to be a part of Dryuary? Well, that's why you have the challenge of 20 classes also. Like, for me, that's my biggest challenge right now is I have um, eight classes up right now. And today is the... 13th of February. I mean, holy buckets. I, I have to like be on it and, um, you know, complete my 20. And so that's been a really fun challenge for me is like just the classes alone is hard. So I, you know, kudos to all the people who are doing the practice and yeah. no alcohol, which is brand new to them. So yeah. And the challenges are good. Yeah. 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 They make everyone a little stronger. They do. And to... by making us weaker first, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I've always just thought of it as just like a, a silly type of drug that um, you end up the next morning, even if it's even if it's on a different level where you have the worst hangover to just a minimal amount. There's something in there that just is um, restricting me from getting the best performance in my yoga practice and just feeling the best. Yeah. 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 That's why I've always liked just um, CBD or just any other type of drug uh-huh. where it was benefiting me. And the word drug, I mean, I'm not not to get into um, a whole other thing of like all of them. But in a clinical way, like caffeine or CBD. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It all kind of make you feel a little different. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You're sharing that. And yeah. Oh, and last last time we, we talked to you, you were going through the benefits, and that was part of the one of the things that you wanted to come back on oh, and yeah. reinstate. But what is, a, what is a benefit? You're taking some time off alcohol. What are some changes that you might see Yeah. Um, that people might want to know about? So I know um, – I have done a little research on um, the, like, cutting alcohol out long-term. I know that over the course of a month, though, I mean, you can start to feel so much um, cleaner. Your system kind of, like, wicks itself of of anything that's, like, just impure. It starts to function a little more thoroughly. So it's kind of like... you know, running your body systems through their degreaser, especially your digestive system, where you're just like, you know, you're cleaned up and you're just functioning really well and the flora and fauna inside your intestines is abundant and working for you instead of against you. And, you know, all that's just really good. And that affects how you sleep and, you know, um, it affects your hydration levels, which is really positive. Um, And I know for me, I mean, it also affects your budget. I mean, financially, you just start to realize, wow, I have a lot of money. Where is this coming from? Oh, well, I'm not out buying drinks. Like, you know, and in Charleston, you know, you go out and one drink can be anywhere from 5 to $15, depending on where you are. And like, you know, if you have a couple of those, all of a sudden, just your beverage tab is, you know, God knows what for that evening. Um, and that's just one night of the week. And then a lot of us used to go out all the time and like multiple times a week. So it just definitely affects your budget. Um, it's a huge benefit. Which yeah. is huge. <laughs> and I know people should be excited about that or um, they are excited about that. They've been talking about that a lot. Um, the other thing that I know you can look forward to is weight gain. Uh, so alcohol uh, kind of forces you to retain um, weight. And I know after... Uh, 12 to 15 months, no alcohol. So this is more the journey that I'm personally on, not because of the weight loss, but because, um, I just have given up alcohol completely from my life and my diet. Um, that you can look forward to like a drop in your pounds because your body just starts to, again, just be more efficient. Like it has time to do what it's supposed to be doing for you instead of against you. Because when you intake alcohol, um, your body recognizes that it's toxic. And so your body stops working on your bodily functions and it starts purging the alcohol as soon as it can out of your system. Mm-hmm. So instead of taking time to digest your food or you know regulate your hormones or um, keep your bloodstream concentrate levels um, at homeostasis, it starts to purge the alcohol instead because it says all the energy right now 
needs to go towards getting this toxin out of your bloodstream. And then we just keep putting more in. So it starts, again, inefficiently running just to purge the alcohol. And we put more in, and same thing. And so we kind of, we deliberately, and it's interesting that it's called a depressant because de it does depress um, your brain, but it also kind of depresses your entire body systems. All 11 systems all of a sudden start to just not be functioning as well, starts to be sluggish. Your liver, instead of um, taking fatty acids and turning them into triglycerides and storing them, mm -hmm. it stops doing that and starts processing the alcohol instead. And so everything starts to just go a little slower. Your kidneys, which are speaking to your bloodstream and you know trying to keep um, an electrolyte balance in your blood really positive and fluid levels in your blood really positive, it starts to like, uh, uh, we got to get rid of the alcohol. So they start working overdrive and, you know, they're still trying to regulate your body. And then, oh, by the way, alcohol also um, inhibits your antidiuretic hormone, which is the hormone that says, um, hey, I'm thirsty. I need to be balanced. Um, and I need water. And I need to be hydrated. It inhibits that. So it stops telling our body to hold on to water so that our blood volume can be really in a good balanced state. Um, and so what we end up doing is just urinating a lot. And it creates a lot of urine. It keeps flushing our system. But our body never gets that signal back to say, hey, wait, retain some of that water and, and filter it back into your bloodstream so that you can be really, really healthy and really efficient again. It's, it stops being able to do that. So then you have like, you know, that's why you wake up tired and groggy and dehydrated and you have a headache because there's way less fluid in your body and your brain wasn't allowed to um, trigger the sensation that says, hey, wait, bring me, bring me more fluid. I need more fluid. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just this overarching idea of just uh, when my decision to no longer drink at all was just I wanted to be efficient. Not, not because my hands are so efficient or my brain's so efficient or like I'm so efficient as a person, but because I wanted my functions to be efficient. Like I wanted to see how that felt. If I could sit in meditation and, and know that all the energy in my body right now, my basal metabolic rate, is working in favor of my body instead of out of favor of my body. So that was really powerful for me learning all of those like all of that. And I know that's a lot of like, that's science. That's a lot of like the nerdy stuff that I get into and study. But it's, it was really powerful for me to know those facts and come back to them and just be like, just like Beth taught me, what are the facts? If these are the facts, do I, now knowing the facts, want to keep choosing this mm -hmm. or do I not? It's not bad. It's not good. But there is a choice here and I have to be okay and take responsibility for whichever one I choose. And that was the journey of you know, just no longer drinking alcohol for me because now I know that I'm partnering with efficiency. And again, if I'm inefficient externally, then I have to take responsibility for that because I know that nothing's affecting me internally that could I could blame it on. That alcohol and yoga is like something that's been uh, coming up a lot lately around the country, whereas yeah. like beer yoga, yeah, and and stuff and. Mm -hmm. Not say it's either as good or bad, but what do you think about the way that yoga stands in, in 2019 today? 
Yeah. It's interesting times. So it is. It is interesting. And it's, it is hard to, it's hard because I don't, I don't want to come off judgmental. Again, this is really, this is really inside of that, you know, vertical that people are cultivating with themselves and their God. And, and, you know, it has to, it has to look the way you know you need it to look. Also, there are, there are these yamas and niyamas that if we're practicing this lifestyle, we recognize that, you know, keeping ourselves pure and whatever definition that looks like to you is part of that. And so it's, it's difficult because I know for myself that if I were to include alcohol, um, in my yoga practice, like at Bendy Brewski or anything like that, I just wouldn't feel good. It wouldn't nourish me. Um, but I also come from a background of an eating disorder. So I know that for myself, this is a very, this is a very, very, um, sacred and, and soft topic. Like I have to be extra careful of what I put into myself and why I'm choosing to put into myself because I used to destroy my body on purpose via bulimia and anorexia. And so, you know, when people hear me say this, I don't want them to think like I'm dogging, you know, practices like that. Cause I know people have a lot of fun with them. I have really good friends actually who teach those classes. And they love, it's like their favorite class all week long that they teach and they absolutely love the community that it builds. And it starts to, you know, just really pull people together in a different type of community. And I think that's the beauty of it is that there can be certain communities like that. And it's not everyone's cup of tea <laughs> or, or glass of wine, you know, whatever, we yeah. wanna, <laughs> however we want to, uh, create that. We're so punny. Haha. <laughs> um, but I know for myself, I, I would struggle being a part of that only because it has been a part of my practice that I've had to come to. It's something that I had to choose for myself that saved me. And it's a part of, um, my brahmacharya where I just, if I'm doing yoga, I need to be drinking tea or water, um, or, you know, throwing a noon tab in and like replenishing my electrolytes, which is the sodium tablet that helps them um, increase your, your salt content. So, um, but I do think it's fun. And I think there is a line between like, this is really, really community building and, oh, now we're going to yoga and now we're going to get drunk after a yoga practice. Like, I think there's a line there. And I think that the people who do it really successfully are the people who are like, yeah, like, like cheers to that great practice we just had and like drink a beer together. And it's a specialty brew today. And like, Ooh, I love how this tastes and it's really fun and it's very, um, delicious. And I'm enjoying this experience versus people who are like, Hey, let's cheers to our yoga practice and let's take nine shots and not think about what the quality of what we're putting in us, you know, is, and let's just do it to get drunk. I think the intention's very different there. So I, I think it really just comes down to that exactly. It's just, what's your why? What's your intention behind, you know, going to yoga events like that? Um, if it's a pure intention, then you're doing the yoga. If it's not, maybe question your why. Maybe start to find if there's another possibility there. Um, and I think that's what's so great about our practice, again, is that that like, I'm not creating that answer to be really inclusive. It just is really inclusive. Like, everyone can be practicing this. It doesn't matter how deep you are in the practice. There's always another journey to a new why. And if you're continuously doing that inquiry work 
and, and asking yourself the questions and you're being honest with yourself, then you don't have to really answer to anyone else other than you and your God and your vertical and it's great, you know? And so I think that, yeah, like while, um, while those classes are really popular in 2019 and, and a lot of people could have the misconception that, oh, yoga is just get drunk because they do bendy bruises. Like, no, they don't. No, that's not fair. Like, maybe this is community building. Maybe that person just clicks and vibes with that community and it's really enjoyable for them and it's bringing them closer to God and it's bringing them closer to themselves and, and they have this beautiful community that they go to every Saturday. Like, yes, that's the yoga. Mm. Um, but it is, it is complicated because I think that you know, with yoga standing in the Western world in 2019, I think misconceptions really cloud a lot of what it has to offer. But I also think that as yogis, misconceptions are just that obstacle cloud. You know, like it looks like darkness, but if we can remember there's light there and we partner with the light, it becomes overcast and light and things get cleared up and the truth comes out and things are just easier. Mm. And so... And then again, we practice that non-judgment, non-harming, um, total kindness to self and others, and and we're at the beginning of the yoga wheel again, and we just start the practice from the ground up, and we keep going, and it's just never over. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I see the two sides of it too, right? Yeah, where like it's a there's a very sacred old practice, yeah, um, that's been around in India, and then we bring it here and we're like, let's bring alcohol and beer and all this yeah. involved in it. And I can see that could make people a little up, uncomfortable, uncomfortable sure. upset. Yeah. And then there's the other side of it where people are enjoying it. It's the community that, that you had mentioned. Yeah. And it's bringing people into yoga period. So, yes. you know, I don't know. I don't, That's true. I don't have the answers and to say, you know, this is right or wrong. Um, and or to take a side. But I think if, if it's bringing yoga is going to more people, like I would guess that's a positive thing, yeah. a nice thing. Yeah. But what's kind of cool about um, what you're doing at, you know, this month of January is yeah. just like incorporating something that's a little different, you know? Yeah. And we enjoy this practice and just feel good. Period. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And it's it really has had that effect. Like the gals who are attending um, the classes regularly and – you know, coming to the additional classes that we've been putting on the schedule just for the participants to um, enjoy, they're really, it really is changing their lives. And it, may, it might be changing it a little bit, it might be changing it a lot, but they're definitely aware that it's different. And I think that that is, again, the beginning of their inquiry and just the beginning of that um, possibility. And it's, it's been great to yeah. be a part of it and to watch it and to... Um, be practicing it too because I'm I'm also a part of the challenge and in it in my own body and it's been it's been really really fun I'm oh. really grateful for it that's awesome yeah I'm glad for you too yeah so what do you think is in the future for you um, one with like this this um, event that you have going on and what you've yeah. been doing this past half year with mm-hmm. no alcohol do you think that you will stay completely dry or do you think at one point, like, it's all right for you to say, hey, you know what, I'm, I can go out one night and maybe have a drink or two. Yeah. I, so that thought was presented to me at New Year's because people were like, oh, well, why don't you just, you know, have champagne at midnight? And I really was confronted um, very positively with the fact that I just 
didn't desire it. And my sparkling water was really what I wanted. And it's I quite delicious. Too. Yeah, it was great. And and I and I know it sounds like cheesy, but I love San San Pellegrino, and I love being able to just be like. Yeah, I'll have sparkling water with lime or lemon or orange or a mixture of the three, and that's actually really delicious because then, like, the sparkling water, like, infiltrates the fruit, and it's just good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, I realized that the desire is different, and that's the kicker these days is, you know, asking myself the sole question from um, that Deepak Chopra um has us ask is, you know, what do I want? And I was able to do that and just be like, huh, I genuinely don't want alcohol. So I'm, I actually don't have like a long-term question of that. I'm just going to keep asking myself that question and keep seeing if it evolves in the same direction or if it starts to shift or if it, you know, I'm just basically going to, it sounds kind of cheesy and kind of lame to be like, oh, I'm going to take it case by case, but I kind of going to, Sure. Take it case by case just to see um, because I don't want to hinder what God could teach me if I do decide to pick it back up. Um, but I do know that my body will tell me. Like yeah. I, I can trust my body and I can trust my vertical. And so if I just tap into that truth and I ask myself every time, what are the facts? What do I want? Then I'll be just fine. So I know that well, I can't give you like an answer of like, yeah, I'm just going to try it for a year and then pick it back up. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but I do know what it'll look like me coming back to truth and inquiry around what do I want in that moment and deciding and then listening to that factualization inside of my body and then letting that manifest into whatever I decide to order, you know, so, um, which is kind of fun. That's, a, that's actually a lot of freedom and a lot of like, partnership in that like all right god what do you want like i i'm let's go like what do you want for today today's different you know and tomorrow what do you want for tomorrow tomorrow's different like it's kind of has this exciting uh anticipation of my participation with his design and his you know his plan and so it's kind of a fun like it makes everything an adventure yeah because i don't actually know yet yeah and you're <laughs> open to it all yeah. All the possibilities. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's a great message to spread to people. Thanks. So thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on again. Thank you yeah. so much. It was so fun being on. <laughs>